episode 223 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rayhall, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And I am here in the Pat Cave, the newly renovated Pat Cave here in Magenta Manor. And uh, we are part of the Dorkening Network. And as such, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Uh, make sure you stock up on your Deadly Grounds Coffee because you got to support local businesses. I am here, of course, when I use the word we, I am here with my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Queen of the Monsters, and an Honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ashes Von Nightmare. <gasps> Happy first day of Ashtober, everyone. It is Ashtober, and uh, you know we have a very special... Uh, Ashtoberfest coming up because not only is it your birthday, but uh, you got the greatest present of all, a book from me. And no, I'm not talking about how much you tip an exorcist. I'm talking about more lore from the Mythos Volume 2, featuring a story from me, a story from our good buddy Steve Van Sampson over at the Retro Redoctopus podcast, and... Uh, I'm very excited to be included in an anthology with super talented local writer Trish Wooldridge, who is uh, just a phenomenal person and an amazing writer. So look for that from Fractured Mind Publishing on uh, Ashtober uh, Prime, we can call it Ashtober Prime. Well, that, that's, that's Ashtoberfest. Yes, Ashtober Prime. Because you have Ashtoberfest, and, you know, that's... That's what you've been calling it, and I just came up with Ashtober Prime, because Ashtober is the entire month. Correct. And then on... Oh, no. You know what? Ashtober Prime would have to be Halloween, because we have Ashtober Fest. I don't know. Uh, we're, I want to. I want to get this like rebranded somehow. Oh, you're you're going to rebrand my birthday? <laughs> yeah. Like the whole... Well, we have specific days. Like there's... Uh, when we lose an hour of sleep, that's uh, fucktober. Like because that's that's some bullshit. I don't like that one. That's like the one bad day of the month. There is no bad days of the month. We lose an hour of sleep. Still good. Still great. Still yeah. October. Still October. And uh, yeah, so uh, we want to know what you uh, what you folks like to do in uh, Ashtober. How you uh, celebrate the uh, holiest month on the uh, Throwdown Thursday calendar. And, uh, you know, tell us some of the things that you plan on doing for this uh, spoopiest of months. It's so spoopy. Uh, but uh, today, spoopy. speaking of spooky, we are, are going to be concentrating on um, one of the scariest people you'll ever run across. Um, and this isn't a supernatural character. I wouldn't say scary. I would say terrifying. And there's a there's well, I, yeah, I feel there's like there's a difference. a difference between the two. Like if you see Jason, you're like, oh my god, he's I'm scary. So I'm gonna run away. But if you deal with someone who can, you know, talk to you and psychologically manipulate you, and uh, there'll be some of there'll be more of those characters using this month. Solely her words. Yeah. Oh, and, and actions. I well, mean, there actions. are actions. Well, yes, yes, but uh, uh, most of the time, it's just. In what she says it's and how she says it. The promise of the actions. Mm. Like you you think you know what she's capable of, but until you really realize the depths that she is willing to go in order to achieve her goals, 
Uh, we were talking, of course, about Nurse uh, Mildred Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Wait, no, I'm crossing my. Wait, what, what the <laughs> hell are you talking about? Mildred, what's her what's her middle name? Horatio. It's just Mildred. I'm I'm pretty sure there's a middle name in Mildred there too. Mildred Ratched. Ratched, not Ratchet. That's the uh, parody doctor from the Robot Asylum in uh, the the HAL Institute for Criminally Insane Robots in uh, Futurama. Uh, no, uh, Mildred Ratched played uh, famously by Louise Fletcher, and more recently by Sarah Paulson in the uh, fantastic Netflix series. So we're going to be discussing uh, both. We'll we'll avoid spoilers. We'll we'll avoid some major spoilers. So we are going to touch base on the character in both uh, the television series, mainly the film, and also the book that the film is based on. Correct. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey. Uh, I think the movie came out what nineteen seventy. I want to say sixty seven, but that doesn't seem right. Uh, I think it was seven. I think that was when the book came out was 67 i am uh definitely um, definitely uh, 74 oh, no 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 not 74 um so the novel was 62 75. the film was 75 okay i was definitely getting my yeah, numbers crossed up a little bit there a little addition little subtraction uh yeah i'm afraid we're going to have to use math and what's crazy is the fact that this book is still on several people's band lists mm -hmm. because of the the way that it depicts certain things and um but we definitely see a lot of the similar a lot of the themes a lot of easter eggs from the movie in the show but we'll get into that because we have a, a very specific getting into character question so ashes what uh what is that would you like to uh today we are talking about our top villains now these aren't our favorite villains these are our top villains and the caveat is that it's not superhero or animated related it's just people P people people being horrible people being terrifying people you know people being the bad guy because it is said that the worst monster of all is is it's human. always yeah it's always like the the walking dead like the threat isn't the zombies it's the other people yeah, people are the monsters. So, Patsy, who are some of your favorite, or should say top, villains? Well, right off the bat, uh, if you're going to go uh, my favorite one, uh, Nurse Ratchet is up there, and we mentioned that in uh, the live show that we, uh, we had she, last she, week. I feel like she's probably in your top three. Yes. Uh, she's definitely top three, but number one has to go to uh, Hannibal Lecter. Uh, when it comes to psychological horror, psychological terror, like knowing that if he gets you, it's pretty much all over. Like it's done. Like he doesn't fuck up. Have the lamb stopped screaming? Well, hello, Clarice. <laughs> well, hello, Clarice. That's not scary <laughs> at all. It sounds so much like Anthony Hopkins. It's ridiculous. You're so ambitious, aren't you? No, you look I like ate his liver good. with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. You sound like a you sound like the Muppet version of <laughs> of Hannibal Lecter. It's like the Grover version of Anthony Hopkins. Like when he was uh, Grover Bluejoy. Yeah. In the Hi, game of chairs. 
And Hannibal Lecter is a character that we are actually going to be covering in yes. a couple of weeks. Yes, uh, because he's one that f- somehow in 200 plus, 220 he's plus just episodes. kind of slipped under the radar. We haven't so, gotten there yet. Yeah. yeah. So uh, definitely Hannibal. Uh, he's got his own set of rules and regulations. And if you abide by them, then you're, you're fine. Um, but yes, uh, just uh, whatever you do, don't offend him. And sometimes you don't even know that you've offended him because his sensibilities are so uh, meticulous. Uh, it's it's tough. So I'm gonna I'll I'll start with uh, with that, uh, and I'll I'll throw it over to you. Who's one of yours? So one of my f- top villains. I have to I keep saying favorite. Uh, one of my top villains is someone who doesn't think she's villainous her according to her her actions are justified and she's portrayed as the villain but you know in the context of the story that's being told you do kind of feel for her well you're always the hero of your own story well this is true uh i'm talking about alex forrest glenn close and fatal attraction oh that's a good pick that's a good She pick. boils the fucking child's rabbit on the stove. Well, she was making dinner. She's helpful. No, she was trying to, to get at she Michael Douglas. She would not Douglas. be ignored. It would not be ignored, Daniel. Oh, she was fantastic. I mean, Glenn Close, she never ceases to amaze me with the intensity that she brings to her performances. And... You know, this one in particular, there's just this ferocity about her that is just so commanding. Like, she owns, like, she's in scenes with fucking Michael Douglas playing opposite of him, and you cannot take your eyes off of her. And you see her go, just delve into this downward spiral, trying to gain the attention and affection of this person who you know made a mistake cheated on his spouse and is now paying the ultimate price for it i'm gonna go uh, i'm gonna take it back and i'm gonna go with a woman i had to look up her name because i couldn't remember but she is without a doubt um in the literal uh, literary version of herself as well as the film version. Like, very often you'll get, like, really amazing uh, book versions of a character, and then when you see them on screen, they're like, all right, you know, I guess that's pretty good. You know, um, you know the first iteration of, of Hannibal Lecter in uh, Manhunter. Uh, nope, sorry, Brian Cox. Um, but Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen? Yup, mm-hmm. yup. Uh, so this character is one of those where she didn't specifically do anything um, outwardly evil. She's not like a cartoonish supervillain, but she is, at, and again, thinks that she's completely right. Uh, I'm talking about Imelda Staunton's performance as Dolores Umbridge in the Harry Potter films. Oh, fuck that bitch. You know, and it's one of those, I saw a meme the other day that was like, how come all the uh, all the villains are always surrounded by like, you know, 
doom and and lightning and dark storm clouds. Why aren't they ever with rainbows? And she's got that whole room full of the kitten plates. Oh, but I love that. Everything's pink and fluffy. You know, I hate the fact that I love her aesthetic so much. I love the way that she Mm -hmm. presents herself. You think that she's going to be this very delightful person. And what she did to Professor Trelawney was bullshit. Yup. She was, she was one of, like, she's one of the worst ones. And it's funny because, like, all the shit that you see happening in that book and in that film, like, it's the longest book, but the shortest film, uh, Order of the Phoenix, somehow. Because um, that's where you really get to see her, uh, you know, for the first time. She is... Like, Voldemort killed Harry Potter's parents, and he can't even Spoilers. hold a candle. Oh, she's the to biggest Dolores villain. Dolores Umbridge. And it's funny. It's like watching. You know who she reminds me of in real life? Fucking Kellyanne Conway. Mm. Like, I know we don't like to get political, but that's exactly what, like, why are you lying? Why, you know, like, oh, I saw this happen. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. It's not true because the government said it's not true. So why would you spread lies? You're a liar. You know, and now you're going to be punished for what you did. Like, she's fucking Kellyanne Conway mixed with Sarah Sanders. Mm. That's who she is. Years before any of us knew who the fuck those people were. So that's 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 my number my number two villain. Um, like, it's just very well written, uh, unfortunately, by a terrible human being. But uh, well written, well acted. Imelda Staunton did an amazing job bringing that character. Mm. Like, so I'll I'll throw it back over to you now. So my number two. So we're just gonna do top three then. Yeah, we'll do. We'll okay. just do three. So I'll do. I'll do. Uh, number two is the Wicked Witch of the West, mm. portrayed by Margaret Hamilton not, from The Wizard uh, of Oz. Not Mila Kunis. Not Mila Kunis. <laughs> no. Uh, not 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 that not that. Film. Mila Kunis. Uh, no, like this this character was just there's something so str- I mean obviously uh, and I'm also not talking about the Wicked Witch of the West from Wicked not the musical I'm talking about the film The Wizard of Oz yeah the 1939 I mean she Damn. tried to kill a man she lit the scarecrow on fire she tried to burn him to death how about a little fire, Scarecrow? <laughs> she hunted a bitch down for a pair of shoes. I admire that. I by was going to say that sounds like an episode <laughs> of Sex in the City. I admire that. They were Malone, Manolo Blahniks. She just wanted control. She wanted to. I mean, a not a, a not only avenge the death of her sister. You know, I mean, it's not every day someone drops a house on your sibling. That happens two or three times a week, tops. <laughs> but, you know, she wants to continue to get, you know, have control, gain control of this, you know, sector that she has. And she lives in the shitty section, too. It's all dark and gray and jagged rocks. She likes it like that. And water everywhere. It suits her aesthetic. She doesn't bathe. That's gross. Well, I mean, can you blame her? Ugh. Gross. It was raining really hard this morning, and I went outside, and I was like, you know what? This type of weather is melting weather, okay? Mm-hmm. It is. It like, is. My people have been known to melt in this type of weather. So that's your that's your number two? Yeah, my number two is, is the Wicked Witch of the West. <sighs> so I'm going to go... i you my pretty and your little dog, too. And she wanted the dog, too! Yeah, because she knew it would hurt Dorothy. I'll get you my pretty... 
And your little dog, too. And she even put them to sleep. Poppies, poppies will make them sleep. <laughs> yeah, they all, they all OD'd on fucking opium. Poppies. Um, so I'm going to go with a three and an honorable mention because I'm having a hard time choosing damn between these two. damn you and your fucking honorable mentions. So both of these uh, were Oscar-worthy performances, although only one of them actually took home the Oscar. I'm going to go... See, I love these characters that are sophisticated and charming, but, like, ruthless, heartless, and, at their core, terrible fucking people. So I'm going to go... And I'm not going to say which one is which, because I'm just going to kind of throw them off. Uh, So these are going to be... This is going to be 3 and 3A, and then then I'll do my honorable mention. Um, 3 and 3A... Are uh, Colonel Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards, played by Christoph Waltz? <laughs> That's what you were gonna pick. I God damn you! I'll pick another one. And three A is another Tarantino film. Uh, Mr. Calvin Candy, oh. played by Leo DiCaprio. Oh, both equally hateful. Like, but hateful, but don't realize that they're hateful. Oh, no, they're they realize. just doing their job. No, no, they realize it. Like, he totally understands. I love Christoph Waltz as, as, as Hans Landa. I, That's <laughs> a beagle. That sounds nothing like him. That exactly you know, you, sounds you gotta, how you, you do gotta it. You gotta get it right. You gotta get it right. That's a bingo. <laughs> we just sounds say just like bingo. <laughs> Gorlami. Uh, it's just, he's... Uh, He's ruthless. So good. Uh, and my honorable mention, um, I mean, I have the Funko Pop. There's literally a shrine to this character. <laughs> Were you going to choose Marion Quint? No. No, I was not going to choose Marion Quint. You gave me that look like I have a See, shrine in this room. I don't think Marion Quint is the bad guy. He's not the villain. Quint is the villain. The shark Quint, is the hero. Quint, no, absolutely not. The shark is the hero. The shark is not the hero. The shark is the hero. The shark is not the shark hero. Is shark, the clear, shark. Clearing the beach of dangerous dogs and teenagers. The sh- okay, okay. So anyways, I'll go to my honorable mention, which is Bruce the shark well, from you're wrong. Jaws. Sh- sharks cannot be evil. The shark is the villain. Sharks aren't evil. The shark is in this particular nope. film. The shark is the villain. Shark is the hero. Shark Clearing is the, the beach from dangerous teenagers. Shark is the villain. Clearing the beach of dangerous teenagers, trying to expose corruption uh, in city hall. Explain Pippet. Pippet. Pippet shouldn't have been so delicious. Pippet shouldn't have been so delicious. He was a chocolate lab, and he went out. <laughs> and sharks love chocolate. That is a scientific fact. Uh. Uh, he was dressed like a seal and uh, covered in steak sauce. <laughs> uh, that was uh, the backstory. Is actually that that dog Pippet was uh, the guy that was calling him. It was actually his girlfriend's dog, and she had just cheated on him. And in order to uh, exact revenge, he threw the stick at the shark, and then the dog went after it. And he was like, "Oh, Pippet, go get the stick, Pippet." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyways, I'll I'll also do an an A and B situation. Um, a is Hans Gruber. 
I almost picked Hans Gruber so you could have Hans Landa, but then I decided I would take Hans Landa. Lay, lay your Hans on me. Yeah. <laughs> take your Hans off of me. <laughs> I figured I would take Hans Landa because I knew you were going to pick him, so I would make he's you scramble grooving. to pick someone else. He's Hans Gruber and he's grooving. No, this is such a, a great character, and it's solely because of Alan Rickman's portrayal. Alan Rickman. Like, anybody else play this character, and this character would have been, I mean, just, just completely hateful. Tim Curry. Okay. It's a Christmas, Leo. This is a time of miracles, yeah? <laughs> what the hell was that? Oh, I am Hans Gruber. I am German. <laughs> I'm so sophisticated. I am a German guy with a British accent. Oh, look at me. Now I've got a machine gun. Ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. But I mean, that whole (laughs) film was just super fun and a lot of action and it's kind of everything that you want it to be. And he adds a little more depth to the film. And father of five. (laughs) Which makes it really, uh, it gives it a high rewatch value. You know, it's not one of those, like, okay, I saw it, great. It's like, no, I kind of want to watch it again. And, um... I will not die easy. I will die hard. <laughs> and my next one is Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest. We'll no wire hangers ever! She's brutal. Mm-hmm. Brutal. She's a bad Poor guy. Christina. Poor Christina. But anyways, that's that's my list. That is your for list. now. I could go on, you know. I didn't even mention Anthony Perkins. The boy's best friend is his mother. As Norman Bates in Psycho, like yeah, I I knew to, that's why know, I did the I'm, line. I'm, right, that's great. I know you would know. I'm just reiterating it for our listeners. Yeah. Maybe not everyone knows. Maybe people don't know things sometimes. Everyone knows everything all the time. So, anyways. Those are our lists. We want to know your list. Who are your top villains? Carl Denman. Who's that? Uh, King Kong, the one who captured King Kong. Oh, and I did, we didn't even mention TV either. No, Mr. Burns. We weren't going with animated. <laughs> I know. He's definitely a cartoonish um, supervillain. Oh he is God. a rank amateur a- when compared to Dr. Colossus. The Trinity Killer. In Dexter, John Lithgow's oh, character. Oh, Lithgow was amazing as a yes. villain. He, you could also pick John Lithgow as Eric Coyland in Cliffhanger. That's a great, great villain. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. All right. Yeah, so we want to hear from you guys. Let us know some of your favorite villains. Uh, or if you agree or disagree, uh, feel free to email us at throwdownthursdaypodcast at gmail.com and tell Ashes why she's wrong because sharks are not bad guys uh, and never are. And it's Marion Quint, and he's just mad because the shark is named Bruce and he's named Marion, and that's why he's so angry. D- d- no. And that's, that's why uh, he's a jerk. Uh, no. Lies. Uh, so we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method. 
that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings! We are the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, a bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. We wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons, I don't know, help me out here. Music, pants, quoting video games that don't have dialogues, shabibans, tasty news, unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia, butt breathers, uncomfortable nature facts, or how to install a samoplange. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retroidocubus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host of problems. Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retroidocubus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar podcast networks with new episodes every Tentacle Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. Mr. McMurphy, huh? your medication... What's in the horse pill? It's just medicine. It's good for you. Yeah, but I don't like the idea of taking something if I don't know what it is. Don't get upset, Mr. McMurphy. I'm not getting upset, Miss Bilbo. It's just that I don't want anyone to try and slip me saltpeter. You know what I mean? It's all right, Nurse Pilbo. If Mr. McMurphy doesn't want to take his medication orally, I'm sure we can arrange that he can have it some other way. But I don't think you'd like it, Mr. McMurphy. And we are back. So we are here today to discuss, uh, as we mentioned in the opening segment, getting into character. Uh, we're going to be talking about Nurse Mildred Ratched and uh, the two portrayals that we have gotten to see and uh, the book version of the character as well. So we first get to meet her in Ken Kesey's book. Mm-hmm. which then gets adapted into the 1975 film with uh, Jack Nicholson as Randall Patrick McMurphy. Uh, and some of the debuts of some very well-known actors like Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Like, very yo- like, oh, like, they were so awesome. Like, Danny DeVito was a very convincing lunatic, which I guess he draws on to play uh, Frank in uh, Always Sunny because... (laughs) Rumham! Rumham! (laughs) I'm sorry, Rumham! You gotta pay the the troll toll. (laughs) You gotta pay the troll toll if you want to get this boy's hole. Uh, Yeah, uh, and, and, and... Christopher Lloyd was just a fucking lunatic in that movie. Uh, I I loved seeing him. And then um, 
I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name, but the guy who played the chief ended up being in uh, Orca, the killer whale, the Jaws ripoff. But the star of the show. Oh, and and a a young Brad Dourif as as Billy. (sighs) Mm, Yes. Scatman Crothers, who uh, this time did not take an axe in the spine from uh, Jack Nicholson, but uh, would a few years later in The Shining. Um, but the star of the show is Louise Fletcher as, as Mildred Ratched. Just. Oh, absolutely. I, she is the first character I can remember watching and fucking hating. Like, I know that Nicholson's character that McMurphy was in, in, was in prison and was trying to play like he was a lunatic so he could, you know, get out of prison and get into like a commuted sentence, do six months in the asylum and then bounce out. But I'll say this though, his character got what he fucking deserved for what he did, the crime that he committed and the way he was trying to get off Mm -hmm. for that. Like he fucking deserved everything that he got. Yeah, and he like he's framed as the hero of the story. Like he's there, not. there are Actually, no heroes. No, in the- uh, Nurse Ratched is the hero of this story. I don't know about hero. I just ask her. Yeah, just ask her. Yeah, um, I don't think like there's really nobody to root for other than the chief. I think the chief is the only guy you can root for in that in that movie. Well, and what's great is both the book and the film are told from his perspective. It's, it's you know, ultimately narrated by him. Uh, juicy fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the uh, the Simpsons parody that they did. Uh, it's like when Homer was in the, the, the asylum with Michael Jackson. And he goes, that's the chief. He's been here 12 years. Never says a word. Never moves a muscle. How you doing? How are you? And all of a sudden, all the guys come running over. He's like, well, it's about time somebody reached out to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it's – I remember watching this as a kid. Like, my dad wanted me to watch it. I think I was 12, 13 years old. Uh, Do you remember when you first saw it? With you. Oh, so you were older than 12 or 13. I was definitely older than 12 or 13 by – uh, a, a few years, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Several. Uh, no, I was I was in my early twenties when I saw it for the first time. Yeah, and because uh, you, I was surprised that you hadn't seen it. I was like, wow, it's a really good movie, and that's how I kind of pitched it. Like, you are going to hate Nurse Ratched like so much, you will hate her. And you know, when you were watching it, like, how did how did you? Uh, how did you kind of reconcile what was going on? Like, what were your what were your thoughts as uh, as the movie progressed? So, quite a few actually. You kind of go on a little bit of a of a roller coaster with this character, but she stays the same. She never raises her voice. She never, you know, really changes her tone much. It's all in how she says things and how she words things that really gets under your skin and gets to you. And the, you know, from, from, from seeing her first on screen 
her first interactions with the other characters, you're like, wow, she's kind of a bitch. But then you really listen to her and, and, and focus on her and see what she's doing. There's a And danger. you think to yourself, you're like, wow, she's really smart. She's she dangerous. Knows, she's been doing this for a while, and she knows exactly what to do and exactly what to say to set someone off while keeping her hands clean. She did. She did. Uh, the only time I can think of she, where she raised her voice was when Cheswick was flipping out over his cigarettes, and she kind of raised her voice a couple times, like, sit down. Like, but, but that's even it. Then, but, like, it wasn't really like a... It was a sternness. She wasn't trying to scream not, over anyone. Right, right. And she's this commanding presence. So what I find so fascinating about her is the fact that, you know, in the in the book it's a little different, but in the film, and we see this also in the television series, she's a small person. She's small in stature. There's nothing remarkable about her. You know, she's pretty. But that's not what she cares she's about. A she's not, woman. you know, she's not drawing that kind of attention to herself. Her hairstyle is like perfectly Very conservative. Yep. Yeah, uh, her ensemble, her nurse's uniform, is perfectly starched. Mm-hmm. She's very put together. But there's nothing really unique or outstanding. Yeah, there's nothing really remarkable about her, but you can't take your eyes off of her. She has a very commanding presence. And that's it. She's always standing up straight. Mm -hmm. She's always, you know, her head is always raised up. She's never really looking down. She's like a bird of prey. Yes. She's definitely a predator of some kind where she's always looking around. She's always seeing things. Um, She's always noticing what people are doing, like in one of the first episodes where, you know, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to come in. And she, it's always under the guise of mercy. Like, how many times have we seen that, like, oh, we're giving them the gift of mercy. We're relieving them. Like, we saw that with Arya Stark so many times in the House of mm-hmm. Black and White with uh, in Game of Thrones. Oh, it's the, the mercy. We're giving her the mother's mercy or whatever. And usually that meant, you know, the sweet release of death. It was a mercy killing. And that's what uh, Ratchet is. Um, we don't get to see... I mean, obviously, we'll get to the Netflix thing first because, you know, it's it's a prequel of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't any real... This backstory has been made up by Ryan Murphy and his writing team. Like, uh, Ken, Ken Kesey didn't, uh, didn't Ken Kesey didn't this. even name her. So, in the book, uh, she is called Big Nurse. Because that's what... The that's chief what chief refers to her as right yeah. uh but she's not you know she's nurse ratchet she's not given a name it wasn't until the film that a name was bestowed upon her because it almost then, sounds it's like only, wretched yeah it, it's only spoken a couple of times too it's spoken a lot it's, it you know it might be because it's been a while since you've seen it but like just in the uh, the clip we're gonna play uh when we come back from the next break, you know, Billy says it a few times, um, you know, and kind of getting to what your, your point of like the presence that she has, you know, 
in the clip we heard right as we came back into this break, where she's talking about the different options that uh, Mr. McMurphy has for his medication, she says it with this smile on her face, but like... But it's it's not a smile. She has this way, and that's one of the things I love about Sarah Paulson's portrayal of Nurse Ratched in the series, is she's able to capture that smirk that Louise Fletcher had playing Mildred Ratched. Mm -hmm. It's not a smile. It's a slight curl of the lip. Slight. It's, it's, you really have to look at it. She doesn't really smile, but you can tell that she's getting enjoyment from what she's doing, what she's saying. She's absolutely, um, like, exerting the power that she has over all of these other men like and i think that's part of the reason uh we got to see this backstory with with sarah paulson um like they're extrapolating this whole backstory from how louise fletcher played this character who wasn't fully fleshed out in the novel but she took it and she won a fucking Oscar for it as she should have like it was an amazing performance but she took this character and they are able to create what are they making four seasons of this so yeah Ryan Murphy has mapped out a four season arc for this character now it starts with obviously the season that is currently out came out a couple of weeks ago there's eight episodes watch it Right. It's 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 so good. Um and each season is going to be it's it's a similar formula, so each season is going to put her up against a male foe. So in this one it was the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, obviously there's the larger the big story. Reveal, yeah. yeah, the larger that story that's happening. Um, you know, but each season so that's gonna be ongoing and then each season she's going to have uh we'll say an opponent yeah because again she's not because the hero of this story well she's not the hero but right now she's really not the villain either she is she's mm. so okay hold on before we get into any of this i want to talk about the series as a whole because it cinematically the set design, the costumes. Sharon Stone's house. It is so delicious. It is just a feast for the eyes. And then you put in the writing and the acting, the way that these characters are are portrayed. It is just so incredibly delicious. And one of the things I enjoyed uh, that Ryan Murphy did with this series is that he uses color in the costume and in the sets and in the lighting to represent different themes. The green and the red. So yeah, so yellow is deceit, blue is neutral, red is evil or or badness, white is purity, green is honesty. And sometimes the costumes and the scenes and the lighting will subtly change or sometimes not so subtly. Blatantly change. Like all of a sudden it's David Lynchian fucking bright red. Yes, and I just thought it was was so beautifully done. And that's something that Ryan Murphy does, especially with these, um, I'll say 
period pieces, for lack of a better word. Yeah, Things that are, are taking place in a specific time yeah. period. Uh, if you haven't seen um, Hollywood yet on Netflix, that's Ryan Murphy. Do yourself a favor and do that because that is just gorgeously done as well. Uh, doesn't have a horror aspect to it, but definitely has a, um, a very much an old Hollywood feel to it. And if you're into that stuff like I am, you'll absolutely eat it up. But this was just so gorgeously done and the shots and everything it it gave me a little kubrick it gave me a little you know david lynch it gave me dario argento suspiria yeah like it was very like artistically shot like everything is thought out i mean there are a lot of there there are a lot of characters um there are a few you can root for i think uh uh huck Huck. Huck. Um, yeah, Charlie Carver. He did a really amazing job with that character. I think Huck. I think... Um, Even Betsy Bucket. Nurse Bucket. She's yeah, not horrible. She's not a terrible person, but she can be. Uh, Cynthia Nixon as Gwendolyn Briggs. You can always root for Cynthia I, you Nixon. You can root for her. Um, and that's about it. Like uh, mm. Amanda oh. Plummer, who is... Uh, you'd know her from uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, she was uh, Honey Bunny, Bitch Be Cool. <laughs> like that whole scene, that's Amanda Plummer. She's great in this. Alice Englert as Nurse Dolly. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, fuck that guy. Oh, my God. Um, Sharon Stone as Lenore Osgood was amazing. Mm. Uh, John John Briones, Briones, I'm not sure how to pronounce it exactly, but uh, Dr. Richard Hanover. Um, Finn Whitrock is Edmund Tolleson. Like, the first thing we get to see from him, he's not a guy to root for, but is he? Um, uh, Corey Stoll, who you'll know as uh, Yellow Jacket from uh, the Ant-Man film. Uh, nope. I will, maybe uh, Sophie Akinado, uh as Charlotte Wells. I think that, yeah, that character is one you can root for. It's just a really sad She's circumstance, really good. but like a brilliant actor. Um, Michael Benjamin Washington, as well as Trevor Briggs, uh, Cynthia Nixon's husband. Mm-hmm. Another character you can root for. Uh, not a lot of screen time, but enough to get the point across. But yeah, there's a there's a lot of really awful people trying to out terrible each other. Pretty much everyone is in it for themselves. It's and um, everyone wants what they want. It's difficult to manage this many villain type characters, or because I don't think they're all irredeemable. Like even Sarah Paulson as Nurse Ratched does things. Well, she's for a not, specific reason. Right. So she's not the nurse ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest yet. We do see little inklings of that. She's not completely innocent, but she's still compassionate. Like, she's still able to show compassion. You there's think... Still, there's still um, a light about I was gonna say, her. Like you'd, you'd think that there's a little bit left in her. It's like she could possibly be redeemed if you are completely unfamiliar with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and you've never seen Louise Fletcher's performance, uh, you could watch this and go, 
well, I think she could turn around. Like, there's hope for her. Like, yeah, she's not like, like she's a she's a little cold. But then you get a little bit of her her backstory, and it's like, okay, well, that's why she is the way she is. But you know, a horrible upbringing. Yeah, terrible the abuse childhood. That she, you know, undertook along with her adopted brother. And right, you know, being you know, betrayed by by specific people who, you know, she thought would not betray her. And there's a certain know, naivete it, to her that she loses very quickly. You know, uh, her being an army nurse, or is she? Her inability <laughs> to trust and you know, her wanting to. Uh, do what she thinks is best for the patient, even if it's not the most conventional thing. Well, we also do see her try to rebel against certain things that she's like, whoa, hold on, like this. Well, and, and that's the thing. It's The hydrotherapy? She, yeah. So she, you know, we do get flashbacks to her being a nurse in the army and there's a little bit of a spoiler there, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin that for you because when you find out how she got her position as a nurse in the army, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, and a lot of things. Left. Yes, and then why she left, but uh, she she tried her best to. Her telling her backstory is a little bit like Heath Ledger's Joker. It depends on what the situation is and who she's talking to as to what version of that story you hear. Right. So the truth is is a combination of something. It's, we it's in think, there somewhere. We think. We don't, like, there's the truth that she tells to one character and the truth she tells to another character, but I'm not wholly convinced that that's the entire story. She said, you know, we had a saying in the army, save one person and you're a hero, save a hundred and you're a nurse. And she says that with a trembling emotional voice. Yeah, so I fully believe that she thinks that she's helping people and she's still trying to do good. You know, that's why she, well, there are, uh, uh, there's a couple of reasons why she takes this job mm -hmm. at Which the very plot St. Lucia um, sanitarium, for yes, lack of a better term. The hospital. That's what they would call it back then. Um, she wants to get ahead because she obviously she just starts working there. So we're actually kind of seeing her not so much at the beginning of her nursing career, but we see her at the beginning of her nursing in a psych psychiatric her transformation ward. into the her her beginning like if her if if Louise Fletcher is the butterfly, she has just hatched as a caterpillar and she's kind of making her way into the world right now she's not getting ready she's not into the pupil stage yet and that's what's so great about this this arc that ryan murphy has mapped out so uh this first season is her kind of getting her i'm, I'm trying to think of a the it's best way to it's like it, her as the caterpillar yeah, exploring the world it's it's a her getting her feet wet into the world of you know psychiatric nursing well it's not just that it's also the the deeper depths of um 
like intrigue and political uh, uh, political aspirations because you know she's got Sharon Stone's character. She's got what's going on with the Doctor. She's got go- what's going on with uh, D'Onofrio's governor character. Like, there's a lot of intertwined stories that are all taking place at the same time. She just happens to be in the middle of all of them, and she's got to learn how to navigate through all of these, like, really weird situations that she finds herself, like, in the midst of. Uh, sometimes she lucks into them. Sometimes she lucks out of them. So this arc that he's creating is going to lead up to, so uh, kind of bring you to the doorstep of Louise Fletcher as one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I imagine. So it's it's going to kind of, uh, I don't know if it's going to be a seamless transition from one into the other, but it's going to kind of connect. It's going to be the bridge that connects you know, the beginning of this series to the film. I imagine like it's... Like, there's a purpose for everything. It's going to end up uh, very similar to... Uh, if you look at the end of um, Red Dragon. Okay. With Hannibal. Yeah. And, you know, you have uh, Anthony Held's character coming to Hannibal and saying, oh, there's this pretty young FBI uh, trainee, you know, who wants to interview you. And he's like, oh, I'll tell her, you know, whatever. And he walks away. And Hannibal turns and goes, what is her name? And, like, obviously, you know, it's Clarice Starling. And that's, you know, the segue into Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. I think there would be something like that. Like, a file gets put on her desk. And, like, oh, yeah, we're going to be transferring this this guy, you know, who's claiming to be, uh, you know. Or maybe, maybe we get to... No, I, you know, I was going to say maybe we get to see some of the, the, the stuff that leads up to that, but I, I doubt it. But, yeah, I think it's going to be like a, a segue into mm-hmm. this is who she is. So over the four seasons, she's slowly – because that's not the same hospital. No, no. So it's uh, – there's – I mean, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen yet. I don't know if they really know. The writers know exactly what's going to happen yet. I'm sure there's like a, said, a story, there's a, but – There's a storyboard. There's, how there's to a, get there's to that arc. destination. You know, it's like, you know, this is where we are. This is where we want to be. We have some ideas as to where we're – how we're going to get there. There are but we're a not lot sure of yet. dangling threads, and that's, you know, kind of the opening of the, the – the opening, like the opening title sequence is fucking phenomenal. It's one of those that, like, we never skipped it. Because it's so good and, like, it tells you so much of the story as to what's going on. Someone's just... And it's really, you know, when that that idiom, I'm hanging on by a thread. It's Dexter and Game of Thrones level with the subtlety and the imagery and everything that's going and the, on. And the music, yeah. It's, it's... that good of an opening theme. Uh, an opening, like, title sequence with all, like, the little subtleties that, like what's going on and as you go through you you each one of those little things is revealed like you see like why is there someone standing in this what looks like a ballroom that's absolutely just looks like a storm hit it mm-hmm. and you find out in one of the episodes like who's this guy in a trench coat you find out in one of the episodes like it's very well done like if you look at if you were to go back and rewatch the series, watching the title sequence, it all makes sense. You're like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. But based on the the dangling threads that are still left, 
and based on the stuff that got resolved, like I'm really interested to see where this character goes in the next season because she went through a lot, you know, between uh, between Vincent D'Onofrio's... I'm just going to name the characters that she's involved with because if we start saying, like, why she's involved with them, it's getting into spoiler territory, and this has only been out for a couple of weeks, and that's not who we are. Um the uh what's his name flint lockwood the uh edmund tullison the the actor finn wintrick i was close flint lockwood he's a shenaniganizer um that storyline the storyline with betsy bucket the storyline with the doctor the storyline with sharon stone the storyline with uh um gwendolyn briggs yeah cynthia nixon uh, and the story, like, there's six or seven things all going on at once. But what I love is, yes, she's hard, she's cold, but like I said, there's still a, there's still a light about her. There's still compassion. There's still, there's still love there. And I think as we go along, you know, we're she's going a to character see... that is still capable of of loving another character and having sympathy and empathy towards another character where the Louise Fletcher nurse ratchet has none of that, you know, displays none of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see how she gets from typically I don't care too much about backstories about certain things. Sometimes it's like, okay, this character just is the way that this character is, and we're just going to accept it. I don't and need move to know on. that Boba Fett was sad that his dad got decapitated by Mace Windu. Right. Like there's certain things that sometimes I'm just I'm just not I could have gone I, I, without I could, I could Anakin Skywalker's terrible backstory. Exactly. Oh, his but mommy I died. He's sad. Ryan Murphy and his team of writers are approaching this in the right way. And yeah, I hope and they continue to do so. Because, I mean, let's face it, Ryan Murphy is, is he's hit or miss. You know, sometimes, and, and a lot of times, I'll start loving something like American Horror Story. Oh, I stopped caring about Roanoke like four episodes in. takes a turn, and you're just like, why? Like the, um... Oh, Written and directed the, by Ryan Johnson. The summer camp one. It was just kind of like, oh, like it was good, and then it, and then it. I stopped caring about that. Like, like we were really into it. But, but I mean, like some seasons are fantastic. Looking at you, Coven. Looking at you, Apocalypse. Like those were really good. I did like Apocalypse. Those were really good. But his other show. So I didn't watch Glee. I, I, I just couldn't. I just wasn't my thing. But Pose. You love Pose. I love Pose. I mean, Billy Porter is a national fucking treasure. I, I, that that cast is just amazing. But anyway, so we know that, I mean, Ryan Murphy can deliver a really good, solid project. He's basically, what he is doing is he is taking uh, a phenomenal character uh, played by an amazing actress in an, uh, uh, an insanely creative way, you know, given the lack of you know substance in the source material and he is then reverse engineering her as uh taking her it's like how did she get here 
reverse engineering it and giving us four seasons, at least two, because there's another season uh, listed on IMDb. So there's at least the second season and kind of giving us the background of an iconic character that most people don't look at it. Like if you say, all right, you know, name name your, you know, 50, 50 characters. Nurse Ratched might not be in that top 50 for a lot of people. You know, this isn't like, oh, let me tell you the backstory of Jack from The Shining or let me tell you the backstory of, you know, all these other characters, you know, Leatherface. How many fucking Leatherface well, movies are there? Not only that, you know, not a lot of people. I, I mean, I'm sure there, there are generations who have seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and there are generations who have not. I was speaking to a coworker about this, you know, just talking about weekend plans and stuff. And she's like, oh, I'm thinking of checking out that Ratched tv series and i said oh i'm like my husband and i just watched it Mm -hmm. was it was great she's like oh did you like it i said yeah i'm like have you seen the film that this character is based on and she said oh my mom asked me the same thing she's like no i haven't seen it should i watch it and i'm like well i mean you don't need to see it would be an interesting like to get her point of view without seeing that that's what i was saying earlier like Like, if you don't know louise fletcher's performance um you know kind of building on what you were saying about like the the light the you know, the ability to redeem this character, but um, fuck, I was gonna say something I don't remember what it was, but the uh, the the you know taking this character and creating this backstory, um, I think is an interesting direction to go in, and especially in you know like there is a. Uh, a marked concentration lately to create strong, heroic female characters that are like they have a troubled past, or you know, like a, a Captain Marvel or a Wonder Woman or you know a Sarah Connor, or that uh, the, you know a lot of these films that are coming out, Miss Bala, mm-hmm. you know, um, tons and tons of films that feature women like you know getting revenge or or being a final girl and just doing these you know badass things Ryan Murphy's kind of taking it in a different direction where it's she's the hero of the story as you know as far as the fact that she is the main character everything revolves around her everything that happens she has a direct hand in but she's not a sympathetic character. She's not someone you're rooting for. She's not someone you're hoping is going to win. She's not mm-hmm. a victim. I mean, not so much. She's anymore. not a traditional victim, right? But she's not using she's not using her uh, past traumas to inform her actions now. She is using that as motivation. Where it's like, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I, I have this skewed version of helping people and mercy. And it kind of reminds me of, um, and this is going to sound weird that I'm comparing the two of them, but there's a side quest in Fallout 4 where you have to confront the mechanist. And the mechanist, what she did was she wanted to help the people of the Commonwealth by building robots. And some of the robots used human brains as their CPUs. And this head, no pun intended, but the the robot that was in charge, which is named Jezebel, 
was sending out signals to all the other robots that the best way to help them, that even if the robots were to do everything and, and you know be with the humans, they still had a 75% chance of dying in the wasteland. So the best way to help them would be to kill them. So the robots were going around killing people. But the mechanist didn't understand that because it was a failure in her logic. You know, the, she thinks I'm helping people by creating robots that can ease their lives, you know, harvest crops, you know, plant trees, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the robots took it as help. What's the best way to help somebody? Well, according to my, you know, robotic logic, this is how the best way to help someone. So when Mildred Ratched sees someone... What's the best way to help this person? Well, I could do, you know, option A, option B, option C. It's like, oh, well, this guy is... Uh, option lobotomy. Yeah. And that's another thing, too. We kind of see uh, the beginning of her fascination with lobotomies in this season as well. It's definitely a different method than is used on Jack, they don't do the same thing, and there's no electroconvulsive therapy in uh, Ratchet so far. There's a lot of uh, real-life stuff that, that was used at the time, mm-hmm. uh, like the, uh, the, the, uh, the hydrotherapy. Yes. It's like, oh, you're it's a lesbian. Pretty <laughs> much boiling people. And then dunking them in ice water. Yes. Yeah, taking you direct. If you've ever gone... If you've ever been at like a hotel and you've hung out in the the hot tub for a while and like jumped out, gotten right out of the hot tub and dove into the pool right next to it, you you can go into a shock. Mm -hmm. Like it's even though it's it's, you know, the pool might be 85 degrees, but the, the water in the hot tub might be 150, you know. Which is why they tell you not to stay in there for too long because it can fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Um, you go from one to the other, and it's such a drastic change. It's like those guys in the polar bear club that you know dive into the rivers when it's fucking thirty degrees outside, and the rivers got a thin sheet of ice on it. You uh, you jump in, and it's it's a shock to your system. Uh, they were using that because a lady was a lesbian. And they were using the same treatment for a kid who was daydreaming, and they were like, "It's, it's crazy what they thought." Uh, kind of reminds me of the old uh, Steve Martin Saturday Night Live thing, where he's a barber, you know, in medieval times, but he's also performing surgery because that's what barbers did. It's like, oh, oh, I, I've I haven't been feeling well. Well, you better have. Uh, you know, you need to do some cocaine and attach leeches to your face. <laughs> like, you know, the shit that, you know, you have to balance out your bodily humors. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I kind of want to switch gears and go into Louise Fletcher's. Oh, you don't want to talk about leeches anymore? Um, <laughs> I'm good with the leeches. Thank you. Uh, leeches. So that portrayal, that character, the cold, heartless, 
tyrannical nurse ratchet character actually led to the battle axe stereotype a battle axe is mm-hmm. a woman a, a powerful stern woman in her 40s mm-hmm. old or battle older axe. yeah or or older uh pretty much everything i aspire to an be. old maid i want to be it no not an old maid. no 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 like that's how they're portrayed like oh she's in her 40s and she's not married Oh, she's either a lesbian or, you know, whatever. No, battle axes are, like, determined, like, just super ambitious women who will stop at nothing to get what they want. Right, and usually it's something in a uh, career-based. In a male-dominated society. Correct. A male-dominated industry. It's also believed that she is a metaphor for the corrupting influence of institutional power and authority in bureaucracies, such as the psychiatric treatment center in which the novel and the film and the TV series is set. Yeah, slightly different hospitals but yeah it's the that's the setting the setting is a although the hospital that she's in in cuckoo's nest is nowhere near as nice like the the fucking hospital that they're in uh was it saint uh, port lucia or whatever uh saint lucia saint lucia is like i've stayed in hotels that weren't that nice well i mean and that that's a you can attribute that to Ryan Murphy's aesthetic. Or maybe that's, you know... That's how it was back then. But maybe that's his jumping off point, showing, you know, her in this really nice, we'll say cushy, you know, psychiatric hospital. With horrific uh, experimentation. And, and, you know, what happens to land her at this dingy... You know, barren, cold, psych- sterile. You know, psychiatric. Because she's not. You know, she's known for wearing the starched white linen nurse's suit, and in the series, it's blue. It's blue. It's so also. It, it, it's. I think that's also going to uh, be symbolic of the transition. Well, you also look at the, um, you know, the the another main difference. Um, there was one two security guards like they had the they have uh, Edmund Tullison down in the basement under lock and key but nobody else is like they're not dealing with uh, criminally insane they're dealing with people whose maladies well, are not real maladies well, you and know some ADHD of those people um submitted themselves like they checked in themselves well they did in in cuckoo's nest as well Right, but a lot of more of the patients in Cuckoo's Nest were, you know, sent there. Yeah, a lot of versus, it's about fifty-fifty. You know, versus I need some time off. I need a reality check. Let me go spend a weekend here and see if they can cure me. Almost like my... a spa, but like where they give you lobotomies. Is that a spa where they give a you spa lobotomy? <laughs> oh, that might be our that might be spa our title. Spa botomy. Can I can I interest you in a back massage and a lobotomy? Oh, I see you're drinking whiskey. Yes, I'd rather have a full bottle in front of me than a full frontal lobotomy. Um, but no, like you know, the multiple uh, aggressive uh, order uh, security guards. You know, not even orderly security guys mm-hmm. in uh, Cuckoo's Nest, all wearing white. Everybody wearing white. The walls are white. The floors and are white. Everything is white. In the series there's a 
pretty decent mixed of genders whereas in cuckoo's nest very little female it's nurse pilbo and nurse ratchet like that's it and jack's uh, lady friends it really shows the difference of the characters i think it was also a difference of uh the the racial mix well and i think that's that could be just a sign of the times as well you know things are a lot more diverse now no they were more diverse in in uh in in the tv show which takes place prior because if you look at it but i mean like filming wise oh yeah yeah filming wise the 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 show was filmed last year so things are more diverse now hollywood is more diverse now than it was back in 1975 i mean because there was a you know i'm just i'm just thinking like of the the patience but i'm trying to draw like a compare and contrast here so you know we see her with the other female employees being i'll say a little relatable because she does form a friendship with nurse bucket mm-hmm. um you know and, and she has um good rapport with dolly we'll say the yeah. nurse dolly the young nurse because uh, she's useful we, we, yes <laughs> but in the film she only has that one like she is the head nurse and she has one other female nurse counterpart nurse pilbo you don't know the first name because she doesn't use it and that's it like that's it so she has uh i don't want to say it's not like she has a lot to prove but there's definitely a um there is a disconnect between work and personal life and neither will penetrate the other like that's, I mean, and that's another one of those like links that we kind of are. I'm hoping we're going to get to see between the evolution of the show character and you know what we saw from Louise Fletcher, because You're Louise Fletcher is definitely cold. She she talks to her staff and her coworkers with the same level of emotional indifference that she does to her patients. Mm-hmm. It's always instructional. It's not. Hello, how are you today? It's, you do this, you do this, you do this. And it's the same thing when they're doing their their sharing. You had your turn, it's his turn to talk. You know, and this is why we do that. And it's like the same, I don't want to say monotone, because she does have like slight inflections when she's trying to put that like, Oh, I'm totally your friend. Like, how could you possibly take that any other way? Like, listen to how I'm talking to you. But, you know, when she says things like, Oh, well, if Mr. McMurphy, you know, uh, doesn't want to take his medication orally, we could arrange to have him take it some other way. But I don't think you'd like it. She's not offering him a solution. She is threatening him Mm -hmm. and letting him know that one way or another... He's going to take his medication, and she will see to it because she is in charge, and she has all the power. And I think that's a huge difference between uh, Louise Fletcher and what we've seen from Sarah Paulson thus far. Right. And we don't know exactly what Mildred Ratchet had to do in order to get the position that she's in 
and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. We don't know exactly who she has dealt with up until that point. We just know that she is the way that she is. And I feel like that's... I don't know if it's because she feels like she has to be that way in order to be an authoritative presence. She likes people to be afraid of her. Except in certain situations where she saves specific... uh, like when she sends Billy to the doctor's office at the end, um, and we see because like the most human we see her is at the very beginning when she's discussing with the doctor and uh, a couple other people about whether or not to take in Randall McMurphy, and she looks at him almost like it's not a challenge, but like. Oh, I can handle this. Maybe based on the crime he committed, she wants to get her hands on him and everything that happens from the point of this is because everybody is kind of against it at the beginning. If I'm remembering this correctly, they're like, I don't know about this. And she's like, no, 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 no. We can take this guy in. We can, you know, rehabilitate him. And oh, why else are we here? What What are we gonna do? Like, we can, we can take care. And as soon, like, you almost see the wheels turning in her head. Like, I'm gonna take care of this guy. But like, you see that a little bit in the the series with the peach situation, right? And that's what I'm saying. Like, th- that's when part of what Murphy. It's like, are you deaf? And she's like, Oh no. I'm just thinking of all the ways I'm going to get you. Yeah, I'm I'm going to get my revenge. Like yes. that's you know, and we we learn about her backstory and why she would be so interested in kind of exacting revenge mm-hmm. on someone who did something that Randall McMurphy did. Yes. And so like that taking that part of the character, you know, like Ryan Murphy has done with his writing team so expertly and you know, extrapolating that and reverse engineering it into this character. So when I was saying, you know, like uh, when I was just comparing the two of them together and I was saying, like, you see this from Louise Fletcher and this from Sarah Paulson, I wasn't, you know, trying to say Sarah Paulson wasn't doing a good job. But what I'm saying is she hasn't reached that. Right now it's two completely different characters. Yeah, she hasn't reached that level. I'm just making sure people in the the listening audience are aware that I'm not putting Sarah Paulson down. If you have ever seen Sarah Paulson She's not at that point in the character evolution. Right. If you've you've seen her in anything, you know that she's a brilliant character actor. Even that blind movie with, what the fuck's her name? Bird Bird Box. Box. Like, she was good in that, and that wasn't a very great movie. Like, she's a, she's a, fantastic character actor which is why you know when they when they announced that she had been casted i said okay i'm watching it like i will watch her open i mean ratchet again like ratchet is is a character like we were saying earlier ratchet is a character that is very fascinating and we know almost nothing about in the two iterations of the character that we got in both the book and the film but you know the backstory and the psyche and how did she get to where she is i think The fact that she went from the hospital she's in, in Ratchet, to the hospital she's in, 
in Cuckoo's Nest right. has something to do with the dangling threads that are left, something to do with Vincent D'Onofrio's governor of California. I also really enjoy the contrast between we're seeing her at the beginning of this, this part of her career, and in Cuckoo's Nest, it's kind of the end of her career, or at least the end of her career at that specific hospital, because after McMurphy... T- uh, tackles her chokes her strangles her no one is afraid of her anymore yeah, she's especially not in, she's not impenetrable she's not um infallible yes she's not you know uh, and she changes her tune a little bit at the end like when she's got the neck brace and she's like oh how are you doing today oh fine how's your neck like you know like yeah it's, yeah, like people aren't viewing her as that threat anymore because they saw her in this weakened state. And there's even the the rumor that a couple of the guys like, oh yeah, McMurphy beat up two of the guards and escaped, and he got out, and you know he's you know he's gone. He got out. Like oh, it was great. And like, well, who told you that? Oh, Jack Dunphy. And then fucking one of my favorite lines in the entire movie uh, with Christopher Lloyd. Who told you that? Jack Dunphy. Jack Dunphy's full of shit. <laughs> and uh, one of the other guys was like, "No, he's he's up on the whatever floor with you know all the other invalids because he got lobotomized." And they're like, "No, no, no, he beat up the guards and escaped." And I'm like, "Whatever, you're an idiot." Um, and then you had the ending, which has been parodied many times, especially by the the Simpsons. But and fun fact. Louise Fletcher was so disturbed by her own performance in that film that she couldn't watch the movie for years. Louise Fletcher's still alive. Still alive. And she didn't want her castmates to get the wrong idea of her because she's like, she had a really hard time playing this role. Mm. And she uh, auditioned for this role for like, I think it was six months. Six months before she got the part, and she was up against like a bunch of Hollywood hitters at that time. Um, and at that point, she had only been in like one film. Let's see, where's I, I have notes? Where are my notes? Are they? Well, oh. I will while you're doing that. Oh, I will, yeah. So oh, she was up against and Bancroft, Angela Lansbury, Geraldine Page, Colleen Dewhurst, and Ellen Burstein. To Ellen, name a few. Ellen Burstyn, I think, would have done a decent job. Um, I. But. Um, Angela Lan- I I can't see Angela. No, I'm sorry. I cannot see Angela Lansbury as fucking Mrs. Potts as <laughs> as, as as Nurse Ratched. No, I'm sorry. Ooh, medication well, time, she wrote. Milos <laughs> Foreman saw something in Louise Fletcher in her, through her, her multiple auditions process, but he was just like, you know what? You're just, you're still, you're just not what we're looking for, but come back. And so she would come back. And then finally, like, she, I, I don't exactly know what she did. But she was able to deliver her lines in such a way that they couldn't imagine anybody else playing this character. I can't imagine. I mean, Ellen Burstyn, I could kind of see. You know who I... I, I D. Wallace? I could Maybe? see D. Wallace in that in that role. Um, Ellen Burstyn, yeah, from um, The Exorcist. Um, so I could see... I could kind of see her, but... 
no. Uh, it, I will say though the uh, the one of the pictures I found when I was looking for uh, you know episode art, the one I found of uh, Jack Nicholson. Uh, standing behind her with his open robe and his boxers rubbing his nipples and making faces at her. Like, that, I think, went to show who Louise Fletcher was. Well, yeah, she was so upset with the fact that other cast members could laugh and be happy while she had to be so cold and heartless that near the end of production, she removed her dress and stood in only her underwear to prove to the cast members that she was not, quote, a cold-hearted monster. <laughs> uh, she... She uh, she definitely gave a great performance, um, and I think a lot of people have tried to emulate who Nurse Ratched was in other roles, but like kind of brought uh, their own brand of fanaticism. Uh, and the name of the actress is escaping me, but uh, Sissy Spacex Mom and Carrie. Um, Again, D. D. Wallace, I think, in a couple of her roles, could be really cold and scary, but not that she ever really was. Um, but I will say, uh, Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot of Nurse Ratched there, and I think uh, Nurse Ratched informed uh, Stephen King's uh, ability to uh, to create this character. No, I say before we kind of wrap things up, one more thing I want to talk about is her hair and what it symbolizes. Because the hairstyle that Louise Fletcher has in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is the same or very much similar hairstyle that Sarah Paulson is wearing in Ratched. It's tight, it's orderly, it's organized. Well, so they are victory rolls. That's what the hairstyle is called. And not only do they kind of resemble horns. A little bit. But um, it's believed that... So Ratched takes place in like the late 40s. Late well, 40s, as, as early right, yeah, 50s. I think, I think right now we're around like 1947. I, I think we're into the 50s at this point. Um, it, it, but it bounces back. It, 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 it bounces does. around yeah, a lot. But she's had the same hairstyle, uh, except for when she's portrayed by the younger actor for her younger self. Yes. She's had the same hairstyle throughout. It's very conservative. Well, so it's believed that... Um, they did an interview with Louise Fletcher talking about the hairstyle. And, you know, obviously a lot of people make the uh, the, the um, connection connection to like, oh, it's kind of like, you know, especially, you know, profile wise, not profile, but like shadow wise. Silhouette. Silhouette. That's a word. Um, you know, it, it does look a little bit like like horns. And Louise Fletcher was under the impression that uh, she was kind of stuck in the past mm. a bit like this maybe takes place something in the 70s. right so like maybe something had happened or maybe you know it was just a, a a way for her to hold on to something from the past because the hair you know she always has the same hairstyle throughout the film 
Yep. You know, the films over the course of, you know, a it's few days. It's slightly different in a couple of scenes. Whenever she's on, whenever she's, when she's Nurse Ratched or Miss Ratched, she's got the victory rolls. When she's Mildred, it's almost like a duality of, of personality. And they do that in the series as that's well. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that's what Chuck, you talk about the series. Yeah. Yes, yeah. When, when she's, she's Mildred, her hair is down. But it's still a little up. It's, but it's, it's and I'm more wondering ro- if we'll see her. It's based on how she's on her guard, I think. And I was going to say that. And I'm wondering if we're going to see that hairstyle more in like there are, later seasons. There are certain scenes, like the, I, I can't say without, without ruining, but there are certain scenes when she's more vulnerable, her hair is down. When she's on her guard, you know, do sex to me like that. Uh, her hair is still up in a specific way, but when she is at her most vulnerable, when she is at her uh, most, <sighs> yeah, I, I guess vulnerable is the word I want. Uh, her hair is down. You know, she lets her hair down. But when she is dealing with anyone with whom she uh, cannot completely trust, her hair is always up, uh, done in the victory rolls. And I think that the hairstyle, even if it's slightly relaxed, like still on guard, like that reflects her character's mindset, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really nice touch. And I didn't even think of until you started mentioning it. And I started thinking back to the different scenes of the shows and it's of the show. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, in the movie, she never, never is without it. Even when she doesn't have her cap, her cap, Mr. Martini, my cap. (laughs) Um, yeah, her hair is always twistedly turnedly into the into the hornses. So, you have anything else you want to add about that, or do uh, you think it's a good time to go to break? Just don't take her peaches. God damn it! Leave her peach alone. Although I will say that meme that's popped up is is you haven't seen the meme? No, I haven't seen the meme. There's a meme where the it's like you know when you're. When you're wor- you know, when you've been doing squats and you look into the and look at your booty in the mirror, it's like that's my peach. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I have not seen that one. Oh, it's great! I've seen it like f- on four or five different threads. It's awesome. But uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out the movie or the show, if you haven't seen the movie, watch the show first and see what you think. Uh, if you have seen the movie, let us know as well. If you've watched both, like you know. Do you think we're we're onto something? Like, do you have a different take? Let us know. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, and I know we've we've said it, but I'm I'm really intrigued by this character now. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, this show we love a good character, and we love a solid character arc. And I'm really I, I have a feeling we're going to be revisiting this character at some point. Yes, uh, probably a year from now. You know, because we'll be able to we'll we have, have more two. information and uh, can talk a little more in depth about the first season without spoiling it for people. Yeah. So uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll uh, come back. We have a new battle, which new means battle! some music. Battle music. 
And, uh, yeah, so we'll be uh, right back. Boy, it sure was nice with that backwoods inbred cannibal clan to give me directions. If you ask me, they're a seriously misunderstood section of society. Hey, wait. What is that music? And what smells like hydroelectricity? Well, hello, 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 hello there, Patsy the Angry Nerd! You, you, you big boy! The shaking in the shoes, the way you look at people huh, when you're at the haunted hydro? Why, why, it's okay, little fella. You can come and play in my playground. <laughs> Crazy Bob's here tonight, and I love each and every person who comes to visit us at 1333 Tiffin Street in Fremont, Ohio. That's right, 31 years of burying people in my backyard. <laughs> I want to invite you to come down. Visit our Facebook, visit our website, www.thehauntedhydro.com or, because we like to just be crazy, hauntedhydro.com. You don't have to use the word the, because some of you have trouble spelling it. I get it, I get it. It's not our fault. Words are hard. So I'll just stick to what I know. Social media. I'll follow you on Instagram at the underscore haunted underscore hydro and at facebook.com slash thehauntedhydro. Well, I want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are doing our 31st year. Make sure that you come down and see us. Sooner or later, you're going to be one of the few that survive. <laughs> hey, what's going on? I'm Steven. And I'm Ron. And we're the hosts of the Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Podcast. If you like to hear the latest pop culture news with some smart-ass commentary as well as the latest movie reviews, then check us out. Also, we're a multi-award-nominated podcast, so we're doing something right. God knows how that happened. So check us out on all major podcasts and distributors, and check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on all social media platforms. You know, Billy, what worries me is how your mother's going to take this. Um, um, well, you, you, you don't, don't have to t t t tell her, Miss Ratchet. Your mother and I are old friends, you know that. Um, please don't, don't t t tell my mother. Don't you think you should mother. have thought of that before you took that woman in that room? And we are back. So, this has been, a. Uh, uh, I think one of our better episodes in a while, like I've really enjoyed talking about this character and I'm really, you know, once we got into it and we started really delving into the, the psychology and like the, the background of who she is and where she came from. And, you know, I think we did a good job of avoiding spoilers because there's, that was really difficult yeah. because, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot a of things lot that happens in that first season. There's a lot that kind of like really gives uh, more weight to the arguments we were making and like really proves a lot of our points mm -hmm. but if you haven't seen it we don't want to ruin it for you so we're not gonna we're not gonna do that so uh, we haven't uh, we haven't done uh, science and wine in a while we'll be doing science and wine today but uh, one thing we do need to do is we need to throw down a new battle and if we're throwing down a new battle, what does that mean? We have to play the battle theme! Yeah. 
delicious. What do we got? So today we have <gasps> the doctor will see you now. Whose less than savory bedside manner is the most terrifying? And you can choose from Nurse Ratched, Annie Wilkes from Misery, mm-hmm. Nurse Diesel from High Anxiety, or the duo of Nurse Bridget and Nurse Miranda from American Horror Story Roanoke. I will say uh, Nurse Diesel is not Vin Diesel. Like no, that's not there, that's no not relation. like a no. that's not like a you know Mr. Nanny or uh, you know Tooth Fairy type uh, you know Disney parody with uh, you know a big muscle bound guy like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of some kids. Oh, you talking about the pacifier? Oh, he was in that too. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> didn't realize he was in one of those. I tried it. You know, I oh, I watched him in Bloodshot earlier this year and. Oh, uh, was not a fan of that. It was just like it could have been any Vin Diesel movie. I will say though, uh, I did enjoy the Iron Giant. I did enjoy the Iron Giant. Well, I mean, it's it's a good movie. Yes, and I don't think he had to do much acting. Same with uh, I Am Groot. So, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's our battle for this week, and uh, we want to know what you think. So check out the. Facebook group and uh, TD Thursday Pod on Twitter, and uh, we'll have those uh, those polls up there for you, so you can vote and tell us who you think you would least want to uh, administer any type of uh, <laughs> medical assistance mm-hmm. for you. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm I'm torn between a couple, but uh, we'll 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 see next week who who uh, wins. I guess. <laughs> Is there really a winner? <laughs> oh, oh. The loser was America. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Ashes, you got some uh, wine you want to talk about today? I do have some wine that I want to talk about. So it's not so much a wine recommendation as it is wine news. Ooh, wine news. <laughs> wine news. <laughs> oh, it's me. Oh, no, so that could be a segment. Wine knows. K-N-O-W-S. Wine knows. <laughs> um, so... Apothic earlier this year released their brand of Cabernet, and it was only supposed to be a limited release, and I did review it on the show. I fell in love with it. I've purchased it numerous times mm-hmm. trying to, you know, take in as much of it as I possibly can, seeing as it's a limited release. And come to find out, it's been so popular that they're adding it to their normal lineup. Excellent. So yeah, I know you really with, like that. Yeah, so along with like the Crush and the Dark. And the Inferno. And Inferno. Brew. Uh, what? You say Blue? Brew. Oh, Brew. No, see, Brew. Speaking of Brew, Brew is a limited release. I wasn't However, a huge fan of that. It's brew time. They've brought it back. So it's a limited it run. It tasted really... So it's a... If you do not know, Apothic Brew is a coffee-infused red wine. And you definitely, like... If, if you enjoy dry red wine and dark coffee, you'll love this. And... Excuse me. I thought it was delicious. And we paired it with chocolate cake. I do and like I thought cake. that was a really great combination. So I feel like it pairs best with something sweet 
to kind of balance out the dryness and almost the bitterness of the coffee. Yeah, like the bitterness and the the, the it almost has like a little bit of a savoriness on the back of the palate. Hey, you got to take the bitter with the sweet. So so yeah, I, I think that that wine, uh, Apothic Brew, definitely pairs uh, pairs best with something sweeter. So, like I said, we had it with chocolate cake, and I thought it was fantastic. But that's back as well. So, Apothic Cabernet, full-time. Apothic Brew is back for limited release. But who knows? Uh, that was actually up for debate um, last year when they made Apothic Inferno full-time. It was between Inferno and Apothic Brew as to which one they were going to make a full-time release. Mm. And obviously Inferno won, but they're still bringing Brew back for the the limited run of the of this season. So it's good stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the rosé is. I think the rosé might be a limited, like se- a seasonal. Yeah release as well you know the rosé comes more out sense. in spring it's more of a summer wine yeah. yeah whereas like the white is full time um the normal red is full time but yeah the rosé is typically summer and another one that's been it's supposedly limited release but i've seen it for a while and i've consumed it a lot this it's summer sparkling. is the sparkling red yep so if you haven't tried the Apothic Cabernet. I highly recommend it. It's delicious. It's pretty much everything that you want a Cabernet to be, just like a true, authentic Cabernet. It's very nice. Super jammy. Not that dry. Little sweet. It's perfect. The Apothic Brew, if you're interested, I really enjoyed it, but I do feel that it's best paired with something sweet to really get the full range of what the wine is. And the Apothic Sparkling Red. I've been drinking it a lot while in quarantine and um, just makes life a little happy. I feel like bubbles. Yeah. Bubbles make life a little happier. So, yeah. So I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go with my, my science fact this week is uh, kind of ties in with the, uh, the, the theme of the show. And I'm going to be talking about uh, lobotomies. Yay, lobotomies! Um. What we see in uh, the two different versions of uh, Nurse Ratched in the the film and the show, uh, there's a couple of different ways that they perform lobotomy. So there was uh, there was one where they would go in through the side of the skull, and then we get to see the more advanced version where uh, they take an ice pick and a hammer, put the ice pick basically in the corner of your eye closest to your nose. And uh, just sort of, uh, you know, give it a good couple of whacks and, uh, you know, zam that little ice pick right into your brain. Scramble it up a little bit, and uh, there you go. What we see later on with uh, Jack Nicholson is uh, with his character, Randall McMurphy. He gets lobotomized as well, and you're essentially in a vegetative state. Like, you... uh, they basically remove the frontal lobe of your brain. Uh, you can, you know, you can perform tasks like, say, uh, you know, you're sitting there and someone lifts your arm up. You will keep your arm there until someone puts your arm back down because you are essentially, uh, you're just kind of going through the motions of being alive. It's uh, sort of like being in a persistive, persistent vegetative state. Um, 
but you have you 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 have no control of your body uh, and your conscious. Uh, I mean, if you can call that consciousness. Mm. So there's a this was a, a treatment that was being used in uh, in a lot of different asylums, uh, generally as a punishment for unruly uh, uh, unruly patients. But a lot of the times it got to that point because there were uh, truly barbaric treatments, like we mentioned earlier, uh, the hydrotherapy, where you would be locked in a tub full of scalding water uh, for, uh, they would come up with some arbitrary time, like seven minutes you would have to stay in there. And then for four minutes they would dunk you in ice water and that would be your treatment and you would do it three times a week and that would be to treat a number of various uh it was melancholy which we now call depression like as medicine changed over the years the terminology being used to discuss and george collin does a great bit on this because as you change and soften the term you uh kind of take away the the uh impact of of knowing what this uh affliction happens to be like uh shell shock shell shock then became battle fatigue which then became operational exhaustion which then became post traumatic stress disorder shell shock sounds a lot worse than post-traumatic stress disorder. As you soften this, you soften the seriousness and why you see so many people like, oh, oh, he's got depression. Oh, he's got anxiety. Oh, what are you nervous about? Like, and people, you, you lessen the impact that people uh, who don't suffer from these things, uh, they lessen their understanding of it. It's like, oh, it can't be that bad. It's like, well, until you deal with depression or anxiety or, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, it's difficult to to uh, to really comprehend what someone's going through. And many of these uh, these asylums and these doctors that worked in the asylums would use weird treatments and they would use them as blankets for everything. It's like, oh, well, you know. It's like that meme that goes around. It's like, oh, you have ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. You know, and the treatments were much worse than than the, what the disease were. Mm-hmm. You know, they would do terrible, horrible. It's like, oh, we can't figure out what to do with you. It's almost like a parent who doesn't know how to control their kids, so well, they I mean, just the, slap the them and the lock them in a room. The treatments would also damage the psyche. So it was like this uh, just carousel you yeah, know, it was a vicious that cycle. That you couldn't get off of. It was, a, it was a downward spiral where, you know, maybe some medication was working, but it's like, oh, we're going to give you this and this and this and this and this, like this huge cocktail of drugs. It's like, oh, we're also going to put you on LSD. And now, oh, you have claustrophobia. Uh, and we see this in the, in, the, um, in the Ratched show where this woman has uh, schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder that came on due to a trauma and she's making progress but the inciting event happens a second time and that just puts her on a downward spiral where she is unable to recover 
Are you talking about the multiple personality? Yeah, the dissociative identity, yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I, I thought was a, a great plot point, but, but yeah, um, that's the, the science fact for this week. It, it rambled on a little bit, but... Uh, Ashes, what do we got? What do we got coming up in the next few weeks? Well, it's Ashtober, which means it's spooky season. Yeah, and I think this year we are going to be doing some. Uh, we are going to be revisiting one character that we covered a while ago mm-hmm. with a very special guest. Uh, I did uh, talk to him the other day, and he is still totally down. Okay. Um, especially because we just ordered his book. Very excited about so that book. So excited to see Daughters of Darkness by Jeremy Saffer, uh, which uh, comes out on October 31st. Very appropriate. Uh, we got the Extra Bloody Bathory edition with all like the super fun extras, the guitar picks, the, the, uh, the, the metal... Um, What's the There's even a soundtrack. There's a met a there's a vinyl, vinyl soundtrack, soundtrack oh. for this book. Like it's fantastic. It's it's this beautiful marriage between photography and black metal and corpse just paint. T- it's gorgeous what I've seen so far and I cannot wait to see everything in its entirety. It's a huge book too. Yeah, like it like it is large. I'm not talking like about like voluminous. I mean like 15 it is inches large. tall. <laughs> yeah. Like it 15 is, inches like 15 by 12. It really like is like huge. the perfect coffee table book. Definitely yeah, a like conversation you could use it starter. as a coffee table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's that big. Uh, which is going to really lend itself well to his amazing f- photography styles. Right. And in a couple of weeks, like I said, we're going to be talking about Hannibal Lecter. Yep. So we'll, uh, Jeremy will be on to talk The Crow. Like I said, we we have done The Crow before, but Jeremy's a huge fan. He's going to uh, give us some insight that maybe we didn't cover before. Uh, we have Hannibal Lecter. Uh, I'm thinking uh, another great character because it is Ashtoberfest. We should probably cover... Ashley J. Williams, groovy baby, uh, and uh, so there's how many how many Thursdays do we have this month? We have the names Ash. One, two, Housewares. three, four, five. We have five Thursdays in October. So we have Nurse Ratchet, we have Hannibal, we have The Crow, we have Ashley J. Williams, and then well, have to surprise you with what number five is going to be. So uh, stay tuned for that. Because it could be a very, very interesting episode if uh, if I get everything lined up, and I told you about it earlier today, because that comes out on October twenty seventh. Oh, oh, that! Oh, yeah, yeah, something very near and dear to uh, to me, and uh, I know you are a fan as well. So that's the only hint I'm going to give. But yeah, we've got some uh, we've got some good stuff coming in October, and we also have you know more editions of the Trivial Pursuit Horror Tournament. Uh, and buy my book. Uh, How much do you tip an exorcist? Available everywhere, and give me a review because that helps. So I think with that being said, we we will will see you next Thursday. Thursday.